Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of The Jane Austen Podcast. Join me as we embark on a journey through Austen's timeless stories, starting with Pride and Prejudice. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. Sure is. Hi. Hi. Welcome to another Black History Month episode. Week three. Week three. And, you know... Madigan pointed out when we were looking through all of our like things to do for Black History Month, while very important topics, they are mostly pretty heavy topics. Very heavy, very depressing, not celebratory, and... Well, celebratory in the way that they're like, they speak to like the human spirit of perseverance. Right. But usually you have to wade through a lot of... Really horrible stuff, you know, (laughs) and unfortunately, that's the existence of black history. And that's so important. But I also need some black joy, some black joy. We need black joy. I mean, I think that there is I mean, I am I'm no I'm not a part of the black community. But I think that like one of the reasons why I like I did one of the black excellence shirts is I just I really like that phrase I really like those I think that those are very like positive wonderful things that you should hold on to and you shouldn't just be proud of where you come from and struggled through but like celebrate who the fuck you are and like be excited about history rather than because I was just looking through them and I'm like I want to talk about happier things please yeah I mean definitely I mean I feel similarly because for the month of February, I'm like, I'm going to read black female authors. Like that's what I'm going to do for the month of February. And it's been great. Oh, found some incredible, like two five-star books this month. Love it. So found some incredible books. However, even the ones that aren't like overtly traumatic, like deal with traumatic themes, because unfortunately that's just that's such a existence. part of, of our history. Yeah. And because of that, actually, like after reading Beloved, I got a nonfiction book and this would be great to do an entire episode on, but it's called um, post-traumatic slave syndrome. And yes, basically you posted about that. Yeah. Breaking down why black Americans are the way that they are because of like right. generational trauma. It's PTSD. One hundred percent. And I think that while. But we, even I had to take a, I got halfway through post-traumatic slave syndrome and was like, you know what? I'm going to take just a little bit of a break. Heavy. That's fucking heavy. And you need to. I think with that kind of book is like, let me pick it up and read this for a bit and then put it down and pick it back up and read this for a bit and put right. it down because wash my brain out with a little bit of like young adult fantasy <laughs> right or like you know? some Bob's Burgers or something <laughs> I don't know um, but yeah I just think that while we have discussed even this month and probably will discuss next week something yeah. that is going to be more about the you know struggle the struggle and mm-hmm. the strength of the human spirit and all of those things I really wanted to discuss something that I've always heard about when Black History Month comes up, but I wanted to know more and I wanted to go deeper because one thing that comes up every year on Black History Month, inventions you didn't know were made by black people Mm -hmm. and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, awesome. Who are these people? Yeah, let's what let's are these inventions? Just a little bit. And you know? I thought that instead of like we already did a feminist fave, I didn't want one of us to just talk about one person. I thought it would be kind of cool for us to teach each other and you about the different inventions and inventors that we learned about this week and kind of have it be like about a bunch of different people and different inventions. Yeah. Do you want to go back and forth and kind of yeah. just I'm sure we have we didn't 
compare notes before no. starting this. So I'm sure we if have we a have lot the same of one, the same people. We'll but share notes and things like that. Yeah. And we'll both talk and things like that. But yeah, let's go back and forth with who we want to. And I know you definitely have a couple I don't have. So I'm very eager to hear about that. Definitely well. one. And it's one that I think was one of my favorites that I learned about. So I'm very excited to okay. talk about them. All right. Well, I'll kick us off yeah. with the traffic signal. <gasps> Great one. I do have some notes on that one. Awesome. Let me find it. Traffic signal. Okay, so the traffic signal was invented by a man named Garrett Morgan. He had only an elementary school education. So Garrett Morgan began his career as a sewing machine mechanic, at, again, only with an elementary school education. And, and like, that's going to be a very common thread yeah, through a lot of these, especially learning with, your own on your own. And a lot of these inventions were made in like the 1800s mm-hmm. or early 1900s. Yeah. And a lot of these people came from enslaved people parents yes or slavery themselves or slavery themselves Mm -hmm. and things like that where education was not offered to them yet they were wicked smart and business savvy and holy shit innovative like I really do feel like I feel like necessity is the mother of invention right like that's what they always say and it's just like it makes sense a lot of these inventions you know make sense right because of that Um, But he began his career as a sewing machine mechanic. He then went on to patent several inventions, including an improved sewing machine, a hair straightening product, and a respiratory device that would later provide the blueprint for World War I gas masks. Yeah, he called it the smoke hood, and it was made for firefighters to be able to like see through smoke and go into fires without breathing in all of the toxic chemicals and things like that which is crazy inventors minds is so i mean so interesting hair fire traffic yeah i mean it's just Hmm. an engineer's mind i guess because for me i can look at something and be like there's got to be an easier way to do that and i I don't know what that is i can even maybe think of an easier way to do it but i'm like there's no way i could create a product you know i have to interject right now because this just popped into my head did you ever have one of those in your head when you were a kid where you were like, if this existed, it would make my life so much easier. All the time. I feel like all the time. Okay. Because my big one, and I still think about it every time I'm in a long car ride because my bladder is the size of a pea. Uh-huh. I always wish that I could invent a toilet in the car where like the seat would like flip or like move aside. It would smell so bad. But, but, in, but no, you would have like a separate like tank below your car that would hold it and then you would just like like you had an RV you'd like go to a reservoir and you would just like let it out when you were done okay but I have questions okay so are you just peeing in front of whoever else is in the car I figured that like if you wanted some privacy like maybe cars <laughs> could have like a curtain thing or something All I right. was a child no, no, I didn't no. think it through I understand. Um, but I've also never been one to close a door when I'm peeing anyways so maybe that just didn't really like I need my privacy I you know this uh, again sorry I'm sidetracking us but when when I was no, it's very entertaining. <laughs> it <you>. is. <laughs> when I was maybe like eleven, I moved to the upstairs like loft part of our house that mm-hmm. had a bathroom, and it was Fancy. so small, right? Um, and my house was a pop up house because every time my grandma had a kid, they added on to the house. They added mm-hmm. a garage. They added a you know a back part of the house. They added an attic loft area. The whatever. Dream. That's what I would love to do. Yeah, I mean that's you know nineteen fifties living right there. And so I had this tiny bathroom and the door opened like inward. So I had no room in this bathroom. So we just took the door down and I had streamers. So like anytime my friends came over, my boyfriend in high school, like I would just pee in the lot. Like you could hear, I could see, like there was no, I've just never had a weird thing about peeing in front of people. You know, I don't know. Unless I'm worried that a fart's going to slip out, then the pee is not coming. Yeah. The thing is, I would do it, but I don't like my, like, with my mom like that's something that was not like an issue in my house do you close the door to pee here yes really i mean yes yeah oh Mm -hmm. my god i even forget when i'm going number two sometimes and max gets really upset with me max like you can't even say poop around him when i was with there was nary ever a bathroom door closed we we discussed this og listeners will know because we have had this conversation before and it is it is a hard pass from me. My friend, <laughs> my friend who I love very much, um, I won't out her on this podcast, but the first time she's now the wife of one of my best friends and she sat at your table at the wedding, um, at my wedding. Oh, I love her. She's yes. cute. Yes. So the first time I met her, 
the very first time I met her, she was, we were having a conversation. She was like, walk with me or whatever. And we were both drunk and she was like, okay, walk with me so that we could keep talking. And she went into the bathroom, shut the door and just like pulled down her pants and started peeing and just kept talking to me. Like nothing was going on. And I'm like, I met you an hour ago. Oh no, that would be me. 100%. I was, God, we got to get back to the episode. We really do. But I was at work last week or the week before and I had to pee so bad, but my friend Brie was getting the trash out of the bathroom. And I was like, I'm not holding it. I closed the door behind me and locked it. I was like, don't call HR. Like as I'm pulling my pants and I'm like, luckily like we're friends. Like I knew it wouldn't be like a problem and she would be fine with me peeing in front of her. Like I wasn't crossing any sort of like weird lines or anything, but I was like, I'm peeing right now and you're going to have to be a part of this because I can't hold it anymore. Interesting. Well, anyway, none of no shame. Okay. Sorry. Anything to do with Garrett Morgan literally at all. Garrett Morgan. I'm he is rolling in his grave right now. Why? For once I'm being honored and this is the conversation you're having. So to get back to it, (sighs) he, like I said, patented several inventions, uh, an improved sewing machine, a hair straightening product and the respiratory device that would later provide the blueprint for WW1 gas masks. But perhaps his most influential invention was the improved traffic light. So in 1923, he created a new kind of traffic signal, one with a warning light, a.k.a. the yellow, um, to alert drivers. Well, it's the yellow now. I don't know if it was then. To alert drivers that they would need to stop. But it wasn't even drivers because at this time, it was carriages, drivers, walkers, bikers. Mm. Everybody was sharing the same road and there was no order. But there was a stop and go light because there was a Detroit police officer named William Potts who created the first modern day traffic light in 1920. But it only had a stop and go system on it. And so Morgan was like, this is now. Like yeah. people push it even with the yellow, you know, yeah. so like you really can't in L.A. You got to be careful. I always wait an extra second at the green before I go. And it probably annoys people, but I'm too scared of getting smashed. I've seen it. It's horrible. But yeah, this guy's like, clearly this is not working. A horse in a car is not going to stop on a dime when you tell it right. to. And all he witnessed one particularly horrible accident and was like, I got to put a stop to this. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I have the ability I got the brains for this bitch Mm -hmm. so he quickly acquired patents for his traffic signal and it it's really a rudimentary version of the modern three-way traffic light it's like and it exactly what it looks like Mm -hmm. when you google him and look at his wikipedia photos with all of his like drawings and things like that a lot of these inventions look similar you can see the inspiration for maybe what we're using now but this pretty much just looks like a traffic light right i mean and It was used in the United States, Britain, and Canada, and eventually he sold it to General Electric for $40,000, which at the time was a good chunk of money. A great chunk of money. He played that one really, really right. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I am going to talk about the invention of the dough kneader and roller, Judy Reed. Okay, I don't have this one on my list. So there's very, very little known about Judy Woodford Reed, and that is why a lot of people don't know about her. She first appears on U.S. Census records as a 44-year-old seamstress from a town near Charlottesville, Virginia. Sometime between 1880 and 1885, her husband died and Judy moved to Washington, D.C. with her children. Essentially, all that is known about Judy is from her patent for a, quote, dough kneader and roller, which was granted to her in September of 1884. The new design of the roller would make dough mix more evenly while being kept covered and protected. So it's kind of like a stand mixer, mm, okay. essentially, yeah, like yeah. an early stand mixer. Like I have a dough hook on my KitchenAid. Exactly. And there's a cover on it, so the dough is not going to get everywhere. It's going to go evenly, things and le- like let that. let me tell you, man, I love to bake bread. We were you having do. this conversation earlier. Like literally an hour ago. Yeah. And there is something about like kneading it yourself, but it takes four Ever. Well, and if you want the even consistency mm-hmm. and all the same, and also if you're if that's how you're feeding your family all the time, and this yes. isn't just like a fun thing for you to do. Right. Exactly. Efficiency is key here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that was her invention. It's unlikely that she was able to read or write as she and her husband are listed as illiterate on their census records and on the patent. She only signed X. Yeah. She didn't sign her name. So mm-hmm. this was very common at the time for female inventors because they wanted their product to be taken seriously. So either they would use a male name or they would just sign it X. Yes. Or if they co-invented it with their husband, the husband's name would go first and so on and so forth. So this woman, it seems um, 
really didn't have much of an education, I can assume from the years that it's very possible that she could have been from an enslaved family as well. And that's probably why we don't have a lot of information. But the there are four women that I'm going to be mentioning that are it's kind of undetermined who was the first black woman to get a patent. Mm. But they say that Judy was the first. Yeah. But then there are also these three others that are kind of, it's disputed as to who was the first exactly. Right. And as I'll kind of go into a little bit on this next person. Yeah. Patents aren't free. To this day, they aren't free. So like you had to save your money and really believe in your product. And you had to like, didn't you like, would you have to like create a prototype and things like that? Like, I feel like that I would imagine, be expensive too. I imagine probably so. Yeah. And like hiring people to help you make it or I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Distribution and all yeah. of that stuff. So uh, the next person that I want to talk about, and this is, I feel like very relevant to our podcast, is the inventor of the sanitary belt. And that is Mary Beatrice Davidson Kenner. Many names. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mary Beatrice Elizabeth Mary David Kenner. <laughs> Kenner. So... Before the advent of disposable pads, women still used cloth pads and rags during their period. Uh, Inventor Mary Beatrice Davidson Kenner hoped to change all of that. Now, I remember being a young woman and watching like historical fiction, like it wasn't Game of Thrones, but something along those lines, right? Yeah. I think I was reading a book, actually, like a Philippa Gregory novel. Okay. And they were talking about, because it was like... um, it was like Elizabethan times or something. Yeah. And they were talking about like sticking just like wads of cloth up there. Can to I like tell stop. you something horrible that I've said on this podcast before that you've forgotten that my mom used to do that. Oh, no. Yeah. If she didn't have a tampon or something, she would stick stuff up her, which I'm like, I've, are you nuts? I've blocked that out. But I also learned about sanitary belts from my mom because she got her period in 1960. Right when they were still using them, they were still using them, and so when my I, grandma used them too, yeah. So like that was something that like when I got my period, my mom was like, "Oh my god, you're so lucky you didn't have to deal like you've got tampons and pat." Like I think I have one things. of my grandmas or my mom. That's weird, right? Okay, yes, my mom like cleaned I mean, it's out. a cool artifact, but like I gross. don't want it. I don't think I kept it. My mom like got a bunch of stuff from my grandparents' house and like gave me one of her purses that had stuff in it, and, and it I had think a sanitary belt, in it? a belt. Yeah, the belt portion, and I was yeah, just. Like, and it, It's like suspenders for your period. Yes. So in 1957, she had saved enough money to afford a patent on her invention. So she had been accepted into Howard University. She was very smart. She'd been inventing things basically her whole life since she was a little kid. She would Mm -hmm. imagine like inventions that would make their lives easier. And she got accepted into Howard University, but she could not afford to pay the tuition. So she had to drop out after a year and a half. Mm. But she worked jobs and she was able to save enough money to pay for her patent for the sanitary belt with disposable like moisture proof napkins there was like a pocket for disposable yeah. moisture proof napkins which had to have been a very shocking thing at the time particularly for a black woman to be talking about periods and right. menstruation mm-hmm. and sanitary products and things like that like I feel like even now we just like we still see the blue liquid we're just seeing some commercials with right. red liquid now like you know there's yes. so much stigma surrounding that that like that's a pretty ballsy thing to do right I feel like. but at the same time this was less likely to get menstrual blood on clothing like to leak through and stain right. clothing and I think you know with this being a kind of male dominated field, the people who are making the decisions of like what goes through or buying patents or whatever, they probably don't like seeing menstrual blood leaking through. <laughs> so they're like, whatever we can do to Blue alleviate liquid. that from happening. Um, but she said, one day I was contacted by a company that expressed an interest in marketing my idea. I was so jubilant. I saw houses and cars and everything about to come my way. A company rep drove to Kenner's house in Washington to meet with her and she said that when they found out she was black they dropped their interest Mm. and told them that they were no longer interested in her product so she definitely faced a lot of discrimination but she is still considered the first woman to invent or the first person to invent the what has now become this massive industry of menstrual care products that wow honestly Thank God. Thank God. Thank, <laughs> because thank God. Because if I'm without 
if I'm without a tampon or a pad or like anything and you have to like roll up a bunch of toilet paper and put it in your underwear, it is so uncomfortable. It's so so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. And she eventually filed five patents in total, which was more than any other African-American woman in history. So amazing. Absolutely amazing. This is another one that showed up on a lot of different lists. And it's one that I really... It it tickles me. This story just tickles me. I'm going to talk about the inventor of the first home security system. (laughs) I have the most notes about this person. Because it's hilarious and wonderful. So Mary Van Britten Brown. Amazing. So Mary was a nurse who invented an early security unit for her home in Queens, New York. She lived in an area of Queens called Jamaica that was kind of like a high crime rate at the time. Her husband worked long hours. She was home alone a lot and felt really unsafe. And she was also very sick of the prolonged length of time it took for the police to arrive in her neighborhood. So she wanted to do something that would keep her and her family safe. She was also 40 years old, I want to say, at this time when she first started this whole endeavor. She began by creating three peepholes in the door to provide access for tall and average height people along with children. I love that it was, she was so considerate. She's like, we'll have one up here. Yeah. One in the middle, one down here. It's like Goldilocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make sure everybody can see. Exactly. And ve- But also I can see like, this was also a time where I feel like childcare wasn't as frequent and like kids would be at home oh, or absolutely. like left home alone. And yeah. it's like, if you're... Uh, like if your husband is working and you're a stay at home mom, but you have to go do something and your kid has to stay home. It's like, you better give him a fucking peephole at least. You right. know? Yeah. I got the safest house on the block. Exactly. She then set up a camera that adjusted from peephole to peephole to allow people inside the house to look outside to see who it was. She wanted this to be visible from any room in the house as well. So she set up a wireless television system where she used a radio controlled wireless system to stream the video to any TV in the house. Right. She's also credited with the invention of the first closed circuit television. Yeah. So like accidentally, accidentally invented like two things. So it was she and her husband who invented this. Oh, and they also created a two-way microphone that allowed people inside to communicate out and outside in. So her husband and... And she also had an alarm button that could be pressed to contact police. Like a panic button. Yes. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yes. Which, how? How? How you did know? she do all this? I and I mean, like, she and her husband just kind of, like, somehow put all this together. And the sketches? Amazing. Out of this world. Yeah. So detailed. They were granted the patent in 1966... And her husband's name was listed below hers, which Mm -hmm. I love. You know, she insisted on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems like it was her freaking deal. She also later added more to her invention after receiving the patent, like creating a system to lock and unlock the door remotely. And like Keegan said, a button that would contact the police and emergency responders with the tap of a button. Her inventions would be the predecessor to video monitoring, remote controlled door locks, push button alarm triggers, instant messaging to security providers and police, as well as two-way voice communication. It also led to CCTV surveillance in public areas. Yeah. Holy shit. She had a massive impact. And this is someone who I think maybe I learned about this person like last year. Like it's not someone who comes up regularly as an yeah. inventor, you know, during Black History Month or whatever. I had no idea that the first person to create a home security system was a black woman. I had no, no idea. I, who was like a nurse and a housewife and a mom and was like, let yeah. me just finagle this shit. Yeah, I'll just put some wires together. Like, That'll do the trick. How? Yeah. Uh, she also gained recognition by getting an award from the National Science Committee and she had an interview with the New York Times in 1969, which I think is kind of a big deal. Like it's still the 60s. It's a black woman who's invented, you know, this home security system. Of course. And you're getting recognition in the New York Times for for your achievement. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Unbelievable. Hmm. Let's talk about the inventor of automatic elevator doors. Another great one. Again, nothing that I'd, you know, my first apartment in LA didn't have automatic elevator doors. Like it was an old apartment. You had to shut the elevator. I didn't go to that one, did I? I was was, going to say, I remember a real elevator Mm -hmm. at that place. Yeah, no, it had, you had, and it was terrifying. Let me tell you, it felt very unsafe. I mean, that's like how they are, like my storage unit. Yes. So let's talk about Alexander Miles. Um, Before automatic doors, people had to manually shut both the shaft and elevator doors before riding. So if you forgot to do this, it could lead to some really gruesome and horrific accidents. Can I really quick say that he was born on my mom's birthday? Oh, sure. What day is that? May 18th. 
May 18th. But Taurus? he was born in 1838. Oh, my mom is Taurus through and yeah, through. Stubborn as a goddamn bull. I'm a Taurus rising, so I understand. <laughs> uh, so the story goes that his daughter fell one time and got very injured. I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. I just thought that he was like seeing all these other people. Like if the doors weren't closed, you would just like you could fall down the shaft and die. No, his daughter fell. Or that's at least that's <sighs> the, the store. Lore, that's the right? lore. Yeah. Yes. That his daughter fell one time and was injured, but, you know, thankfully not killed by this. And so he was like, you know what? And this man was a barber. Like, yeah. He was a barber, but he was like, you know what? We're going to do something about this. So he developed a solution. He designed a flexible belt attachment to the elevator cage and drums positioned to indicate if the elevator had reached a floor. Mm -hmm. The belt allowed for automatic opening and closing when the elevator reached the drums on the respective floors. In 1887, he took out a patent for the mechanism that automatically opens and closes elevator shaft doors and his designs are largely still in use today. It's basically the exact same design that we see every time you get on and off an elevator. Wild. Created by a black man and barber in 1887. So freaking cool. So cool. All righty. I'm going to talk about another uh, one of the disputed first or second patents from a black woman, Miriam Elizabeth Benjamin. Now, the name didn't ring a bell, but as soon as I saw her picture, it's come okay. up a million times as a suggestion for feminist faves. For okay. Different, like when I Google like forgotten feminists in history and things like that. She received the patent for the gong and signal chair for hotels on July 17, 1888. Let's talk about it a little bit. So she was born in Charleston, South Carolina in, I'm assuming, 1886, but I wrote 186. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because then her family moved to Boston in 1873, where Miriam attended segregated high school. She went on to Howard University's medical school, but while working as a government clerk in a number of federal departments, she obtained legal training, attended law school, and became a lawyer. Then she was a teacher in D.C. from 1888 to 1889. So more about this gong chair for hotels. So the chair had both a gong and a signal connected to it. So when you pushed a button, it would alert someone that a guest wanted assistance. It was designed to cut down expenses on wait staff because at the time it was like too expensive to have waiters constantly coming mm-hmm. to like people in like hotels and things right, like that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really know the whole hotel deal with it and things well, like that. Was it at the front desk? It, it just says that it was like a gong chair for hotels, but it's more so kind of like what was spawned from it more so than like what it actually was used for. I feel like I've seen that kind of similar thing. Like when you watch like Downton Abbey and you'll see that kind of like bell oh, system, right? Yeah. Where like you can kind of like ring people. I don't know if that's the same thing. Well, on this was kind of the precursor to the alert system on airplane chairs. Oh, so it's kind of that same sort of system in the patent. She also wrote that the chair was designed with legislators in mind including the house of representatives and lobbied for it to be adopted there and it was because it was a way so that legislators didn't have to like stop what they were doing or anything like that they could just like oh i need assistance Ah. they could just summon help and things like that so after she makes this amazing invention she goes on to, to continue inventing practicing law and making music like there's articles about her like compositions and things like that in the music world. And like this woman is like so unbelievably accomplished. God, where was I well, when you were handing out gifts? Because <laughs> like these people, I'm just he took like, a nap that day. Legitimately. He was <laughs> well, like, you're fine. You're going to be fine. Her whole family was pretty amazing. Her younger brother, Edgar Pinkerton Benjamin, established the trousers shield or bicycle clip on May 31st, <laughs> 1892. Wow. So two inventors in the family. Wow. Wow. It's very cool. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's talk about the inventor of refrigerated trucks, Frederick McKinley Jones. Now, this guy, Frederick Jones, had a bummer childhood. Very bummer. I was like, that sucks. Yeah, I I think this was the one that I have the second amount of notes on because of the childhood. Yes, (laughs) I, I didn't even go into detail about his childhood, so feel free to jump in. All I know is that... His parents were biracial his yeah. or interracial. His mother was black and his father was white. His mother left the family. Yeah. And then his white father was like, I don't know what to do with this baby. So gave him to relatives and then he died. It the, wasn't the even a relative. Died. So what happened was the mother left when he was really young. The father raised him till he was seven. Like you said, was like, I can't raise this child anymore and left him to a priest at a oh, Catholic that's right. rectory. It was a priest, that's right. Yeah. And then he eventually left the school and rectory by the age of 11 and got a job as a cleaning boy. By the age of 14, he was working as an auto mechanic and he was largely self taught. He's actually a Minnesota man, which is pretty cool. Um, He moved to a place called Halleck, Minnesota in 1912, where he worked as a mechanic on a very large farm. And he said that um, about the town of Halleck, that was kind of funny. He describes in a newspaper that the place was where a man was judged more on his character and ability than on the color of his skin. I wrote, thanks for not being racist for a sec, Minnesota. For like a second. (laughs) I'm glad this little town did right for I mean, like a like, minute. You know? Yeah, right. He also fought in World War One in the first all-black unit. It was eventually promoted to sergeant. He went back to Hollick after the war where he began creating inventions for radio and motion pictures. He right, worked and for we, this like cinema supply company in Minneapolis right. for a while. And we should say that he, again... It's not like he had this incredible education. He's self-taught yeah. in mechanical and electrical engineering. And that's what he used. Like he taught himself yeah. mechanical and electrical engineering and invented a range of devices specifically relating to refrigeration, sound and automobiles. Yeah. At first he was working with this guy in Minneapolis that was like working for a cinema supply company. So yes. it was a lot of like sound and visuals uh-huh. and things like that. But once uh, he got this idea for this refrigeration stuff. They were like, that's where the money is going to be. We're going to lock into that. <laughs> right. And he was so prolific as an inventor that he actually ended up taking out more than 60 patents throughout his life, including a patent for the roof mounted cooling system that is used to refrigerate goods on trucks. To yeah. the, you know, that was the first thing that we used, which was right. massively well, helpful during World War II. I was going to say, it, like, yeah. it was kind of like, cool, we can keep food cool you know things like that but then when world war ii came along preserving blood and medical supplies and sanitary products and things like that well i think we really we really take that for granted we take refrigeration for granted in the 21st century right like it it changed the game like there are a few things that like changed the game in terms of food and um refrigeration is one pasteurization is one uh and especially during wartime whenever we had to transport food to troops both of those things cut down on illness yeah they allowed for a lot more like fresh foods to make it to people who live in rural communities and also once again in world war ii and we were trying to get food fresh food to the troops and it was massively supplies, blood ma- yep exactly all of that, without yeah. these kind of like refrigeration systems that we have today we wouldn't even be able to have the kind of vaccine effort that we have right now with exactly. covid and everything <sighs> keeping things at a certain temperature wild. it's massive wild yeah he also developed a portable x-ray machine a movie ticket dispenser and a quote snow machine which attached skis to a propeller powered snowmobile which sounds dangerous. It sounds very dangerous and very Minnesotan, if I might say. So Minnesota. All right. I'm going to talk about the guy that I'm so excited about because I don't know how long this episode has been going and I don't want to miss out on talking about him. I'm going to talk about James Edward Maceo West. Oh, 
And you did say that Maceo is my brother's name. And I love that name. And it is such a unique name it that is. you don't hear it very often. No. It's like when you hear and it, that's what caught up. my eye. Yeah. I was like, Maceo, what? Yeah. I got to look into this. And I ended up adoring this person. And we have a lot to thank for this person as well in many ways. So fun fact, James's mom was actually one of the human computer one of the human computer group known as Hidden Figures. Mm -hmm. Her name was Matilda West. Matilda. I know. Another tie. <laughs> Along with Gerhard Sessler, James invented the foil electric microphone in 1962. Yes. Oh, I do have this person. Yes. While developing instruments for human hearing research, which is a great tie-in for me. That was a big thing that he was interested in. It was like human hearing and ears and things like that. So with this microphone, compared to previous condenser microphones, the electric mic had higher charge hold and didn't require DC bias. And I put an asterisk next to that and never looked it up. Don't know what that is, but apparently it was a good thing that didn't require it. More than 90% of more than 2 billion microphones produced annually to this day are based on the principles that James and Gerhard created. They're also used in phones, camcorders, hearing aids, and baby monitors. And probably, yeah, yes, your iPhone, like... Anything that's a relatively cheap microphone. So yeah, for anyone that needs to hold charge for like a long period of time, essentially. Yes. Yeah. So for anyone who's like dabbled in podcasting, for instance, like we use condenser microphones. They're typically more expensive. Um, so this kind of microphone would have been a very big deal for things like this. Just like yeah. your at home um, cassette recorder or anything right. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. He recently, because he's still alive, did a study of the acoustic environment in hospitals and found that they are generally too loud, which would affect staff and patients alike. As of right now, he's 90 years old and he is still an active inventor. He is working on a device to detect pneumonia in infant lungs. I love it. I love, love it. you know, there's a common thread with a lot of these people where it's like, this is just who they are. It's yeah. how their brain works. They see problems and, and they then they're like... Them. We got to find a solution for that problem. Yeah. So Dr. West has had over 250 patents to his name during his lifetime so far. In addition to his amazing achievements, he's also made an incredible advocate for greater diversity in the fields of science and technology. He worked at the Bell Laboratories where he founded the Association of Black Laboratory Employees or ABLE which was formed to, quote, address placement and promotional concerns of Black Bell Laboratory employees. That's awesome. Okay, so I want to talk about George Washington Carver. Listen. We have to. We got to talk about George Washington Carver because they've been lying to us our whole lives. We, truly. Okay, because here's the thing. George Washington Carver was born in Diamond Grove, Missouri. I went to, there's a George Washington Carver National Monument there where right. like you can visit like his house that he was born at. They've preserved it. I love it. that. It's very, very cool. He is a very, very cool guy. However. And he also did a lot of really important very, things. Very, However, what did he not do? Everyone tells us that George Washington Carver invented peanut butter. And listen. I learned it in school. We all did. We all did. And it still comes up on, in doing the prep for this episode, it still comes up on it a lot. It came up on that Oprah list that he list. created yeah. peanut butter mm -hmm. I when I was taking the notes I just turned to Max and said George Washington Carver didn't invent peanut butter and he was just like and I didn't invent he didn't know who George Washington Carver was in the peanut butter I was Pardon? like did you go to elementary school like he's I remember like one of the peanut ten, butter. He's one of the ten black people we learn about during Black I History. No, right? Like, I'm like, you don't know who George Washington Carver is. And listen, he did invent a type of peanut butter, um, but he well, wasn't necessarily the first one to invent a similar product. Well, like, no, they and were like all, Aztecs have been like grinding peanuts and stuff forever right, and, and having is, something similar. I, I guess it's kind of like a technicality of like, what do you consider to be an invention? Well, and also because he was he worked in agriculture, so he was all about like food, like food science and gardening and things like that. So for him, he would create these like bulletins about different foods and it would be like 250 things to do with peanuts. Yes, exactly. And essentially peanut butter was one of those things, but mm -hmm. it wasn't like labeled peanut butter, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, and again, like when you're dealing with food, like trying to get down to like who was the first person to do this thing, because also, you know, a black man is credited with the first person to like make a potato chip. Right. But it's just kind of like, did someone fry a potato before that? Like probably, you know, yeah. so when you get down to like trying to decide who invented what, like 
who in, who was the first person to create a paste out of peanut butter that you can spread on or, or out of peanuts that you can spread on exactly. bread? You know, like, yeah. Um, Did you have in your notes by any chance about the middle initial W? Because I didn't know this. Washington? It's not his middle name. Ooh. The W has nothing to do with his name. You he know went, what? I probably knew this when I went to the George Washington you probably Carver did. National I was, Monument, but I don't remember. I read it in his Wikipedia page that when he went to school in Minneapolis, Kansas, didn't know that was a place. Me neither. Uh, at the age of 13, there was another classmate named George Carver. So he added the W. And when people asked him what it stood for, he would say, why not? Very Marsha P. Johnson. Oh, I love it. Very. It was like, why not? W. So I, I don't know it. where Washington came in exactly. Sassiness, a black trait. Yeah, I love it. But they say that he never actually himself used Washington as his middle name. So I don't know how that came to be. But he's George Washington Carver to us. Right. I mean, and that's what he used. He did live in kind of a certain amount of fame towards the end of his life, the last couple of decades of his life. Like it, he's not one of those people who kind of like posthumously became famous. No, he, he was, was famous when he was alive. Famous during his time. And yeah. they used George Washington Carver. So exactly. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because it gave him an air of importance maybe it was a catchy name because of George Washington I mean hey with the way we've been going some relative is listening to this right now and they're going to write into us and oh, let us know I hope so, so please do if you're a relative a relative of George Washington Carver please feel free to write in right, give, me a, that give me a heart the attack but, but go ahead and do it but getting back to peanut butter yes so, peanut butter he did develop more than 300 uses for the peanut, including soap, skin lotion, and paint. So while he was like a food scientist, among other things, an agriculturalist, he liked to invent ways of using different products. So not yes. just peanuts, but also like soybeans. And he was like the person that put sweet potatoes on the map. Yes. He was like, here's a bulletin of like 73 dyes, 17 wood fillers, Paste, breakfast foods, starches, flowers, molasses, all these things you can do with sweet potato. So where would we be without Mr. W? And (laughs) on a larger scale, because, you know, it's kind of sad that he gets chiseled down in school to the person who invented peanut butter. Right. When really, like, he was able to revitalize the agriculture, like, industry in the South because probably in large part, and this is just speculation on my part, I don't have hard facts for this, but probably in large part because of slavery, due to cotton production in the South, the soil was like ripped of nutrients. There was right. like, there were no nutrients in the soil in, in the South. And he did end up going to um, Tuskegee Institute. Yes, he was one of the like first presidents, teachers, so on and so forth. Yes, Booker T. Washington himself asked him to be the head of the agriculture department yeah. at Tuskegee in- Institute, and he taught there for 47 years. Yeah. So, but that's in the South, right? Because he's from Missouri, which thinks it's the South, but... Yeah. It's technically the Midwest. It's yeah, not it's, the it's South. The, it's the Southern Y'all Midwest. Y'all sound like you're from the South, but you're from the Midwest. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's the Southern Midwest. Um, and that is where he's from. He's from su- Southern Missouri. But he went into the South to go to the Tuskegee Institute, and the soil there was so stripped because of cotton production that his knowledge of like agriculture and like what to what to plant, how to plant things, um, like revitalized the South. Revitalized yeah. like his his practices really revitalized the soil in that area, yeah, and made it more. Um, I don't want to say profitable, but you know what I'm saying. Like it yeah. made it 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 produced a lot more at that time. Um, So his contributions are actually really, really interesting and incredible. Yeah, but he just didn't invent peanut butter. I did learn, however, that he did design a mobile classroom to take education to farmers called the Jessup Wagon. So he did invent something. Yeah, I mean... Like, tangible. Not saying that he didn't invent anything. That's not what I meant by that statement, but you know what I mean. He (laughs) invented lots of things, Yes. But yes, I mean, and he was a massive advocate for um, getting other black people involved in agriculture right. and having them learn kind of like the natural sciences. And this was a man who was born into slavery. Right. And he was able to rise not only to these great heights educationally, but also to fame in his time, which yeah. is like a really big deal. Huge deal. Yeah. Very big deal. So, I mean, we, we love, we, we stand. stand. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Jinx. <laughs> All right. I'm going to talk about Ellen F. Englund, who invented a clothes ringer. 
She was born in Maryland in 1836, but her family eventually moved to D.C. at some point, according to an 1880 census. There, she became a housekeeper and a government employee. Ellen designed a special type of clothes wringer where the machine had two rollers in a frame that was connected to a crank. You can picture this. You've seen it in movies. Mm -hmm. Clothing would be fed between the rollers and the crank would then wring the water out of the clothes to dry them. I always thought that those looked so satisfying when so I saw satisfying. them on movies or whatever. Or the the, the wash The washboard. But there was something about like watching the clothes go through that like like, like squeegee situation. Yeah, I was wring all the water oh, out. It's weirdly satisfying well that is actually the same mechanism that they use for mops now okay so that was her invention that they took you know from that to create that kind of like squeegee that we do with the mop that same kind of lever yeah activity does the same kind of thing if there was one of those like visual asmr tiktoks yeah. that was just watching like clothes go through that I would, I would watch it. I bet you can find it. It'd be relaxing. There is something for everyone on the internet. Um, Ellen wanted to sell her patent to a, quote, white person interested in manufacturing the product. She sold it for $18, which today would only still be about $401.64. So she didn't sell her patent for that much. She was quoted saying in an April 1890 edition of Woman Inventor, you know, I am black, and if it was known that a Negro woman patented this invention, white ladies would not buy the ringer. Mm -hmm. I was afraid to be known because of my color and having it introduced into the market that this is the only reason. She would attempt to patent another invention, this time wanting credit for her creation, but unfortunately, it never came to be. So the one thing that she actually really did contribute and would become a huge part of the house cleaning industry with you know yeah. mops and mm -hmm. everything else she really didn't reap a lot of the financial benefits from it and i think she learned that by you know she wanted a white manufacturer to produce it so that people would use it but she didn't get the same satisfaction in return that she should have and wanted to get right i mean this is this really makes me think of when i talked about madam cj walker and like the benefit of marketing to your own community yep uh, because, and this is something that we see to this day. I mean, I see it all the time on social media, on like TikTok and Instagram, where black people will be hyping up other black people, specifically black women are incredible at this. Like yeah. always hyping up each other's brands, buying from each other's brands. Um, and there is something to be said about that. It's like you can value like and lift up the other people in your community. Right. And if you seek them out, it could be a gold mine. Yep. You know, and but like, I also so see her thinking I, on it. Me but too. It I just, do. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Like why she did what she did makes absolute sense to me, but it also highlights why what Madam CJ Walker did was so brilliant. Exactly. Because it just didn't work. She had an amazing, her. amazing invention and she just really didn't get the credit for it. Oh, that is such a bummer. I know. Okay, let's talk about the carbon light bulb filament, which was invented, Don't have this one. <laughs> invented by Lewis Latimer in 1881. So the light bulb itself was perfected by Thomas Edison, but the innovation used to create longer lasting light bulbs, which is what we use today, um, came from an African-American inventor named Lewis Latimer. So he was the son of formerly enslaved people. He began working in a patent law firm, that's one way to do it. Get, <laughs> right? get in there at a law firm after serving in the military for the Union during the Civil War. Wow. So he fought in the Union, which also, by the way, means he had to have been old enough to fight in the Union during the Civil War, which means that he was also probably an enslaved person. Yeah. He was recognized for his talent drafting patents. They were like, you are really good at this. And so they promoted him he was the head draftsman at this agency this law firm where he worked Very again cool. like right after the civil war as a black man was this man. like a primarily like white agency too i believe so wow i mean i would assume so like that's pretty amazing yes uh and there he co-invented and improved bathroom for railroad trains i love it and then he garnered attention from the u.s electric lighting company whenever he and this put him in direct competition with thomas edison yeah because they were kind of contemporaries they yeah were at the same time right mm. and this was in 1880 so while there he patented a new filament for a light bulb using carbon instead of more incendiary material 
materials like bamboo. So like you're like just like fuck you, Thomas Edison. <laughs> well, also like dangerous. Very. You know what I mean? Like at the time, it's like light bulbs were new. Electricity was very, very new. But there also before so many then, fires. you were using open flame. So I guess. Yeah, I mean, risky either way. Yeah, but I think that there is something to be said about like electricity was very new and if you're using incendiary kind of like things at the center of your light bulb that shit could go up whenever yeah that's (laughs) true so the addition of the carbon filament increased the lifespan and practicality of light bulbs like i said like you could leave a light on and leave the house and one you knew that that light bulb was going to last you a very long time it's similar to what we have going on now you know you don't have to replace light bulbs every couple couple of days or whatever And in 1884, he went on to work with Thomas Edison at the Edison Electric Light Company. Wow. So he really rose from being the child of enslaved parents, fighting in the Civil War, to working with Thomas Edison in his his lifetime. And we have him to thank for, you know, all the lights that we have in our house right now. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. Alrighty, I think this might be my last one. I've kind of jumped around a little bit. I'm going to talk about the woman who improved the ironing board, Miss Sarah Boone. Awesome. Sarah was born into slavery in North Carolina in 1832. When she was only 15 years old, she married a freed man named James Boone, freeing her from enslavement. They moved to Connecticut before the start of the Civil War, and Sarah began working as a dressmaker. So the first people that were known to use metal to iron their garments were the Chinese. And the first electric iron called the electric flat iron was invented and patented in 1882 by Henry W. Seeley. Sarah invented improvements to Seeley's invention, creating the ironing board that we know today or something very similar to it. It was designed to improve ironing sleeves and bodices of women's garments. It was narrowed and curved, made of wood. The shape and structure allowed to fit a sleeve, and it was reversible so you could iron both sides. So it's kind of like the inspiration for the shape that we have, Mm -hmm. where you kind of slide your shirt or your pant leg or something over it to get a flat surface to be able to iron it on. Well, I will say this. As an adult, I have never owned an ironing board. Me neither. And I have felt that because... When you try to iron on like a bed or like any other surface. Or like me where I literally use my hair straightener and I hang up my shirt and I like try to like clasp no, it down. You've never done that? No. Oh my God, I do it all the time. If I've got like a shirt with like one big wrinkle in it, I'll just fire up the hair straightener. Oh, no, I've never done that. It I mean, works pretty well. It's just very, it doesn't work. I mean, it's just tedious and time consuming. I can't judge. I literally just put my clothes on a hanger and like put them in the bathroom when I'm taking a shower and I'm like, hope there's I enough do, steam. I do that too. But then they sometimes feel like wet afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's a toss up. Life but, is hard. Life is so hard. <laughs> but sometimes I'll try to iron because I do have an iron. And like sometimes I'll try to iron on like other surfaces, like my bed or like a yeah. chair or like, and it's just, it's, there is something about having there's a reason why our grandmothers owned ironing boards and yeah. this is why fun fact uh the same ex that i mentioned earlier that was fine with pooping in front of me also ironed his pants always like jeans all of his pants were ironed like that, i remember like that vibes that tracks right yeah. does that not like totally make yes. sense like yeah. i've ironed his pants so much and i like say what you want about him but he was pretty well groomed. He was too well groomed. Yeah. He was better groomed than me. Yeah. By a long shot. The man would never even go to the grocery store without having a fully color coordinated outfit and whatever. Way too much I'm for me. I'm in these exact same gray sweatpants like pretty much every day. So yeah, honestly, I pretty much feel the same. And I definitely don't need to feel dressed up to go to the grocery store. I've never felt However, that. However, if you ever did... The ironing board. <laughs> the ironing board is the is the one for you. But no, I mean, God bless a good ironing board. Remember back, my mom would tell me that her mom would iron my grandfather's socks and underpants. For why? I always wondered a that. A nice like, crease. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who's going to see it? <laughs> You're going to know. You're going to feel it. I don't know. Hmm. But imagine like stepping into some like freshly ironed boxers or something like that like that if they're still warm yeah yeah like like straight out of the dryer underpants cozy we also discussed in the anniversary episode how nice a warm tampon feels so there's a i don't know that we said it was nice we did i was like have you ever put a tampon in after sitting in the car for a while it's like oh yeah 
Stop yeah. making that face. Don't I, judge us. I, I am judging <laughs> us. Yeah, I am. Uh, oh, God. So many tangents tonight. I'm sorry. My brain is everywhere. It's okay. <laughs> listen, listen, that's where we're at. Okay. So I have one last person. And I literally have like three sentences on Wonderful. this person. But I had, as children of the 90s, we couldn't not mention Lonnie Johnson, who is the inventor of the super soaker. Yes, the super soaker. <laughs> yes, the super soaker, a staple of every 90s child. Yes. Childhood. Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere yeah. in the US, everyone had a goddamn super soaker. Do people still have those? Like, do kids still oh, use yeah. super soakers? Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was still nannying tea, we had a whole um, bunch of like guns by the pool that we would fill up and like have like water bites I, in the pool and the stuff. The super soaker was a moment. Yeah. I remember it and there were like different ones. There was like the really big one that was like a machine gun super soaker. You had to like really pump it yeah. up. And, and then yeah. there was like little ones that were like, like you know. Little handguns. Little handguns, right? Which, you know, culturally, eh, I don't know, children with fake guns, but so fun. Like so fun. Just the best time, like a hot summer day. And you day. can fucking nail someone with one of yes. those too. Nothing beat like a super soaker fight on like a hot day. Ugh. Beautiful. So, Running through a sprinkler. Lonnie Johnson was an engineer. He was working at NASA's Jet Propulsion what Laboratory. The fuck? Yes, which makes sense. Like when you think about it, you're like, oh, of course. Like he understood how like physics and shit. But he worked. made a toy. Yeah. So during his free time while working at NASA, I like him. He invented the super soaker. I love it. Which him. I think is incredible. God bless this man. Yes. It hit shelves in 1990, the year I was born, and its popularity immediately skyrocketed. In 2017, Forbes reported that it had earned over one billion in retail sales easily so oh my gosh incredible incredible Love it. a black man invented the super soaker a black man in nasa invented the super soaker that's fucking nuts in his free time like i'm like if i work at nasa i have no free time i have no free time and my free time is me like doing like stupid shit i'm <laughs> using the fact that i work at nasa to get out of everything, everything. i don't want to do like yeah. i'm like i have no time i work at nasa sorry i can't make it sorry you know sorry for you yeah i've got to say one thing that was really interesting in looking at all of these stories were that while there were people like Lonnie who were like NASA employees mm -hmm. and people that had like great educations and things like that, it was more amazing to me that like people like you and I, where I feel like had an idea and motivation, were able to like create this thing that changed everybody's lives. Like this wasn't some important person that did this thing. It was just Everyone. It was whoever. Right. I mean, you know? I would say that that's most of the people on this list. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of why I said in the beginning of this episode, it's like necessity is the mother of invention. It's like these people were like, we don't have like we can make it easier on ourselves. Exactly. Like I have an idea of how I can make this easier on myself. And for some of them, it was that it was just that right. Like a sanitary belt or or a ironing board. And then for some people, they truly did just have this extraordinary brain where they were able to say like, I can teach myself mechanical engineering to create you know? refrigerated trucks. Right. You know, there's uh, each one of those people are incredibly intelligent and smart absolutely and business savvy and creative and innovative yeah but it's amazing that it goes to show you that no matter what your level of technical education is you do have the possibility to still achieve things like that because for me I would be like doubting myself I would doubt it yeah. how would I even do that why why me yeah you know I think that that's yes. a really easy like spiral to put yourself in. So the fact that these people were just like, uh, like we keep saying purely out of necessity. I'm thinking about Mary and the home mm -hmm. security system. Yeah. yeah. Don't, <sighs> don't doubt yourself too much. Don't sell yourself short. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I feel like the world is constantly telling us. And for myself, I know that I have not done so many things in my life because I thought I wouldn't be good at it or people would laugh at me yes. or, or whatever. And it's just like, you know what? Just do it. Just what do you have to lose? Because what if it works? Right. If you have an idea, just go for that idea. And not that this is the same, but it's exactly the advice that I give people when they're like, how do I start a podcast or how do I start anything? It's like you, you just, just do, do it. it. You just do it. And maybe you'll fail, but maybe you won't fail. And like, how cool is that? You could change modern history. Yeah. Because you had an idea, you know, and that's <sighs> so cool. Moving. 
yeah. inspirational. And that's exactly what I wanted for this week. So yeah. I'm glad that we were able to discuss all of these amazing people. I'm really glad that we got to cover a broad range of mm-hmm. inventions as well and not yeah. just focus on one or two. So very, very wonderful. This was a really fun one for me. I hope that you all learned something new. How many of you thought that George Washington Carver invented peanut butter? How many of you thought that his real middle name was Washington? This is wild stuff here, everybody. Groundbreaking journalism. <laughs> I need to go to bed. All right. <laughs> That is all we have for you today, everybody. But I do want to remind you all that we do have new merch. If you would like to check it out, you can go to the link in our show notes. I did update it. Keegan did update it. I've checked it out. It should all work. If you would like to go another route, though, we also have a link in our bio on our Instagram, which is at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. If you would like to suggest any topics for the future, please email us neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. And last but certainly not least, as we have so many exciting, wonderful things coming up in the future for all of you wonderful listeners, if you haven't done so already, we would greatly appreciate it now more than ever for you to leave us a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It truly does mean so much to us, and we really appreciate it. All right, that's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God. And we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.